Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. With all of the new developments in consumer sleep technology, our patients are spending billions each year on everything from wearables to mattresses to help them sleep better. To talk to us today is Rajashi Mills. She's an engineer with a degree in medical devices and vice president of sleep IQ health and research for Sleep Number. She is here to discuss the technology behind smart beds. For full disclosure, we're going to chat about the technology in general without focusing on the brand name. Thanks for joining us today, Raj. Thank you for having me. So tell me about this. Tell me about Sleep IQ and smart bed technology. I mean, what is this in, in general sense? So not necessarily about your specific product, but what are these smart beds all about? Sure. Um, you know, most of the technology around this area is really comprised of um, three components, the sensing, um, adjustability, and digital engagement. Um, and so, you know, from a sensing standpoint, um, sensing component, there are variations of sensing components. Most common in the smart bed um, technology is ballistic cardiograph. Mm. Um, and the ballistic cardiograph, um, depending on the application, will take sample readings, um, you know, could be up to several hundred times per second. Um, and these rep these readings will represent heartbeat and breath rate. And, um, you know, the, the application then uses these, the, the heartbeat and breath rate to calculate things like HRV and mm. total, you know, and uh, other sleep metrics like total sleep time, SOL, WASO, um, and even exits out of the bed. There was a paper that was published, right, that talked about bed-derived sleep stages comparing it to PSG. So tell me about this. Sure, will do. Um, the, there was a paper that was published in Sensors that uh, compared the accuracy of um, smart bed from a heart rate, breath rate, and the all night or the the sleep metrics that I just mentioned um, to PSG measured against PSG, um, and what it showed was the like heart rate and breath rate were highly highly correlated. You mm -hmm. know, um, uh, 0.94, 0.96, which is very high considering one is the is um, absolute. Uh, correlation with PSG. Um, and, you know, it, it um, captured, you know, it really leads to this idea that um, we can think about using a, a consumer product at home to evaluate um, our sleep and mm. evaluate it at a, you know, accuracy level that is you know, maybe not 100% PSG. I don't think that will, uh, you know, that's will happen in the near future, but it w it's enough of an indication to really provide insights into um, sleepers' health and sleepers' um, just, you know, physiological activity. 
So this is something that I kind of struggle with as a sleep clinician because, you know, patients are always asking me, what should I buy? <laughs> right. And so right. I, I have a little bit like I try to be very um, respectful of, you know, not asking somebody to spend a lot of money on something. And right. so how should I be thinking of this? I mean, how does a smart bed compare to other easily accessible sleep technology like wearables or apps or other nearables? I mean, how how should I wrap my brain around this? Yeah, that's a great question. And and com I completely understand the decision, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think one of the biggest differentiators between other forms of sensing like wearables and nearables um, is that the bed is actually helping to improve sleep. So the smart bed, you know, has has the capabilities of sensing, of providing the um, si similar type of metrics that a wearable would have, but it actually, you know, through different adjustability components and um, through just the comfort of the mm. bed, um, is able to impact quality sleep. And I think that's the biggest differentiator. So you're talking about something more than, you know, like raising the head of the bed to help with snoring, right? Yes. Um, so, you know, there are smart beds in the market where uh, the firmness can be adjusted on a nightly basis. Um, so, for instance, I know, you know, I have a, a bad back and there are times where my back is acting up and mm -hmm. the ability to change firmness is really important and um, really makes a difference in in my sleep during those you know time those nights that my back is hurting, or you know if uh, for those who are pregnant or as we age, there's uh, you know there's there are needs and situations in our lives where we may want a, a slightly firmer bed or a, or a softer bed. So that idea of being able to create those adjustments and create that. Um, that perfect individualized solution for that night really is is profound and helps with the quality of of sleep. So, do you think that this uh, will allow us to have more of a longitudinal assessment of sleep? You know, I'm I'm hearing what you're saying about the back and pregnancy and aging and so on and so forth, and and I'm wondering, you know. If so, how how will we use this information in a positive way for our patients? Absolutely. You know, first and foremost, that longitudinal nature, um, it, it provides, a, you know, so many beneficial aspects. Number one, it provides a view into um, a sleeper's individual characteristics and baseline. Not every sleeper is the same. And so, you know, knowing your... Uh, you know, your standard heart rate or your, um, you know, which setting provides you the best sleep night, of, night after night, it individual, it allows you to individualize your sleep. Um, you know, uh, again, I'll give you, I'll, I'll use myself as an example <laughs> and as example throughout this uh, discussion, but I also, uh, you know, sleep with my head slightly articulated. And that's just because as as an individual, I know that uh, that alleviates a lot of things for me, like uh, propensity to snore mm. or, you know, that's just for me, 
um, I have found my ideal articula- articulation angle. And so I, I'm able to do that because of the longitudinal nature of the data shows me where I, you know, what are the settings that gives, give me the, my best sleep. Um, and then over time, you know, uh, we have conducted studies through longitudinal analysis of data that shows, um, you know, when I might be getting sick because mm. um, my heart rate and breathing rate and uh, duration and motion of, you know, uh, when I sleep, they're trending differently than my normal. So that's really interesting that you bring it back to health. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think about, is this something that we can use for people who have sleep disorders, you know, that's that's always been a criticism of sleep technology, that it's always tested in healthy people. And how do they perform with people who have sleep disorders? So is this something that will help us maybe look for sleep disorders? Yes. And I would say that, you know, uh, most smart beds, I would say really um, other than hospital beds, con- smart beds that are used in the home are consumer products. So they're not medical devices. However, we also know that there is such a large prevalence of undiagnosed apnea, Mm -hmm. um, undiagnosed even cardiovascular health factors that we are able to um, find and not only find, but just uh, early, you know, find early indications of uh, of sh- situations like apnea, where we can warn or we can, um, you know, provide insights to our sleepers to then go and ha- get the uh, a diagnosis or uh, you know go get tested, and I think that really is a gap between mm. um, that early indication, you know, the uh, ver- where your apnea may be at a mild level uh, or even moderate level. Um, and so having that early diagnosis can maybe even prevent it, prevent that sleeper from get- getting to, um, you know, a, a, a more advanced stages of whether it's apnea or other health factors. Okay, so that's interesting. You know, when you talked about comparing it to polysomnography, then in my mind, of course, I go through, well, why do we order polysomnography? Typically, we're looking for a sleep disorder, right? Mm -hmm. And so now you're kind of talking about early screening and early identification. But just to be really, really clear, you are drawing a line (laughs) where you're saying this is a consumer device and this is not meant to go into that diagnostic realm, correct? Am I understanding that correctly? That's right. That's that's absolutely right. Um, you know the the uh, metrics that we collect, you know, heart rate, breath rate, um, are are very highly correlate with PSG, as I mentioned, um, and those those indicators, the you know those um, signals and metrics, they will help us. Uh, they will help the sleeper identify. Help us help the sleeper identify. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, those those um, elements that you know really do need to be tested on PSG. A PSG is a um, you know FDA approved device for diagnostic. Um, the smart bed is a you know consumer device that helps bridge the gap between um, 
health indications at home to that to the clinical environment. And we're really seeing this um, in so many areas of health today where um, health systems are trying to move to the home because mm. because of that preventative um, aspect and uh, you know prevent as you as you know, catching something early, Right. Um, you know, preventing it just lowers that cost burden that we face today. So when you're talking about following trends and assessing that there's a change in heart rate or respiratory rate or something like that, or that they might be at risk of a sleep disorder, how is that then communicated to the patient? Is it something that they can print out and take to their doctor? Like, What does that piece look like? Yes, absolutely. So I would say that um, there are varying levels of insight. You know, today we are able to see trends in your heart rate um, and and breath rate and, um, you know, the different biometrics that we capture. And we have had scenarios where um, our sleepers have contacted us saying that they noticed a trend in their, uh, you know, in their data and they took that information to their physician, um, and uh, you know, the res- it resulted in you know there was one particular case where it resulted in um, uh, some surgical procedures. Hmm. So you know, but even in what we provide, um, we provide weekly and monthly trend um, reports that are sent, um, you know, available for the sleeper to access through their their mobile application and we also send them through their through email but they can take that information that really um, you know points out the differences over the month um, in their data how they're trending in those specific categories um, and take that to their doctor and you know time and time again we have heard um, different people uh, having done that having taken it, that information to their doctor and um, really, you know, uh, it, it producing some kind of, you know, some action that saved their life. So is it something that they then you alert them that this is what your heart rate has been doing over the last 30 days? And is it up to them then to sort of say, oh, that's a change? I mean, do you do you put in anything about this may be consistent with or, you know, or is it sort of up to them to just say, OK, this is a change. I need to go to my doctor. So, you know, we don't, because we're not a medical device, um, we don't provide that, that uh, we don't close the gap, mm-hmm. you know, um, we don't make that connection. Um, and, and we're not their doctor, you know, we, it's really up to their doctor to um, take the data that we're providing, and then, you know, kind of marry that with their other health records to provide the determination of what what their actual, um, you know, health condition could be. But so, you know, but what we provide is that view um, that then can be, can be used to make that analysis, a view that the doctor might not have. And um, certainly most of the time you go visit a doctor, it's once a year or when you're already um, have symptoms for something uh, and you're farther along in your condition. 
So it's it, it'll allow you then to provide a like a record. You know, I, I see people with Fitbit yes. and, you know, whatnot and clinic and I'll scroll through it and you know, we'll kind of look at their sleep and see if we can correlate yes. it to their symptoms. But that's also very, very specific because it's a sleep clinic, right? Versus mm-hmm. sort of this general, my heart rate is um, varying or restorations are varying. And so uh, and so I appreciate that it's it's looking at the data plus the clinical symptoms to decide if something needs to be done. That's right. And, you know, this, this will, uh, you know, progress. So in the future, like I mentioned, we are going to, you know, we're looking at um, developing uh, further analysis around the early risk indicators for things like apnea and cardiac health. And we're ah. doing that with our partners um, and our collaborators. And, um, so, you know, this is a progressive, t- uh, this technology allows for a progressive results and progressive path for us. Um, today, it's it's the trends in, in the raw uh, data of heart, you know, heart rate and, and breath rate and, mm. um, and HRV. Um, HRV is another important calculation that, um, you know, where the uh, HRV trend can be telling about someone's health. Hmm. So, you know, you kind of hinted at this earlier, but I'm kind of wondering how this performed during this pandemic. Were there signals that you saw? Were you able to identify people that maybe were at risk of getting sick? Yes, um, that is a great question. And I would love to share this, our, our information, because it's so fascinating. Um, but in 2020, uh, you know, right in the thick of the pandemic, we conducted um, an IRB approved study. Um, where we solicited information from sleepers who had opted in to be part of a, a research panel. Um, mm. And we identified cohorts of uh, COVID-19 positive and negative sleepers. Um, and the analysis of uh, the real world sleep data that were co- that was collected um, that you know, included things like uh, that I mentioned with the heart rate, breathing rate, motion, duration, uh, time to fall asleep. Um, all of those, uh, you know, metrics were collected in that this unobtrusive environment in their in the sleeper's own home, and they were collected um, around the time that the sleepers had had uh, mentioned to us or had had disclosed that they either were tested positive um, or negative or that they had symptoms. Um, Yeah. And it was just fascinating. And we saw a a stark difference in the trend of their data. You know, if you compare their data two weeks prior to symptoms and, uh, you know, during symptoms there, you know, we were able to see in the data even before, um, many of the sleepers actually experience those symptoms, we're able to detect in their sleep data a, a shift that was pretty st- staggering. Um, and the other interesting thing is that because, you know, the data is longitudinal, as we as we talked about earlier, we were able to compare the data around this COVID time period with even um, the prior year of the mm. same sleeper. So, you know, the sleeper was became their own control. Right. It was just fascinating to, to see that data. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the relationship between sleep and other health issues. 
You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. To meet the demands of sleep practices like yours, WatchPad, an industry-leading HSAT, brings you SleepPath, a revolutionary app that streamlines time-consuming tasks like screening, questionnaires, and the paperwork associated with arriving at a sleep apnea diagnosis. WatchPad with SleepPath does this and so much more, providing a holistic view of the patient by looking further than AHI, accessible anytime, anywhere. To see WatchPad with SleepPath, visit the Zolitomar booth number 151 at Sleep 2022. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. Today's guest is Raj Mills, a medical engineer at Sleep Number. So I understand that Sleep Number has undertaken some really interesting partnerships to support sleep research. So can you tell me about your collaboration with the American Cancer Society and the Mayo Clinic? Happy to. Um, earlier this year, uh, Sleep Number entered into um, a, it's a six-year partnership with the American Cancer Society. Um, and the intent is really to inform cancer-specific guidelines. Um, and, it, you know, the American Cancer Society will consent sleep number sleepers um, in a prospective cancer prevention study to identify the impact of, of quality sleep on uh, cancer prevention and recovery, and really for both patients and survivors, because we know it takes a toll. Sleep is, mm. is really um, uh, impacts both the patients and their caregivers and survivors. Um, so it's, it's a really important study um, and a, an area that is not, um, has not been highly studied by the American Cancer Society to date. Um, and in addition to that, Sleep Number is also collaborating with the Mayo Clinic, as you mentioned. Um, and in that collaboration, we are um, advancing, we're working together to advance sleep science and research. Um, mm -hmm. And a couple of examples I'll give you of studies that um, we're work working on together or funding are, um, you know, the Mayo is investigating the prevalence of OSA and um, determining the presence of comorbid cardiovascular diseases in U.S. patients with Somali heritage. Um, huh. It's a really unique study. And this, this group of, um, you know, uh, this, gr this specific group has not uh, researched very, you know, um, th there's, there isn't a lot of research among this group. Um, and another study that the Mayo is, um, you know, we're also working on is the relationship between disrupted sleeps, dis disrupted sleep and markers of aging. So mm. um, very, very just interesting, groundbreaking work. Wow, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. It is, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how much insight sleep and our, our sleep data and our bodies can tell us about our overall health in, you know, from, from sleep. Well, that's exactly it, right? It, it, it intersects, it, it intersects everything. Everybody needs to sleep. Yes. Yes. So what about the other side? If I'm thinking about this connected bed, so are there any warnings or precautions? I mean, you know, there are, um, on some of the gadgets that I have, there's a little sticker that warns me about low dose electromagnetic radiation. So is this something I need to worry about or maintenance or anything like that? You know, um, the the products at Sleep Number, the bed, smart beds are all tested 
um, for, you know, uh, SAR, we call that SAR, it's specific absorption rate test. And they're all tested by independent agencies. Um, and we're uh, certified as uh, compliant to FCC standards. So, you know, we, we take that very seriously. Um, and, you know, there's not, uh, it's, we don't have the same level of contact with the sensors because the sensors are all embedded in the bed mm. um, as with maybe other devices that are directly touch the skin. Um, but, you know, absolutely, you know, safety is ex extremely important. As I mentioned, um, we are, con we continue to test, you know, with uh, every new innovation that we, that we have. Um, and, you know, we're, uh, again, we, we, take that very seriously. So what about data security? I mean, where does a data live that is from a, a smart bed? Yes. Another area that um, we take very seriously, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, the, and, and especially when you think about, um, you know, your sleeping environment is a very personal environment. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, our data security and privacy are all crucial to that. Um, and, you know, the data, the data resides both in the bed, in the, there's a pump by the bed. Um, okay. And so it temporarily resides in the pump, but then also in the cloud. But um, users have the ability to um, put their bed in privacy mode, and in which case we collect absolutely no data. And that is a um, a very strong approach we have. We, you know, we, we, like I said, literally we collect no data if it's in mm -hmm. privacy mode, but even if, um, it's not in privacy mode and we're collecting data, we, um, you know, again, have, um, very extensive, um, you know, implementation of, um, uh, different levels of, um, encryption and, um, just different safeguards in place to make sure that the data is, um, you know, uh, just secure and only available for the sleeper. So what about looking at the data collectively? You know, I'm thinking back to a few years ago when Fitbit released, I want to say maybe six billion nights worth of data. And mm -hmm. from that, they said, well, you know, on average, Females sleep a little bit more than males, and they kind of showed like the variation in bedtime depending on your city. And it was just, it was, it was right. just a really interesting batch of information. So I'm wondering if you can, you know, is this something that's on your radar? Are you looking at this? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, because we like, like Fitbit, we're able to assess um, data from a regional and other population level views. Um, and in fact, in um, also at Sleep 2021, we presented an overnight HRV um, metrics and values for a large population. And that was to better understand population level HRV changes. Huh. And we did that over, um, I want to say, uh, almost 380 or so thousand um, men and women. Um, and we are continuing to look at, um, you know, a the, our de-identified data set for that population level analysis. Um, and I would say to your listeners, stay tuned because we are, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're continuing that work. It's ongoing and, 
you know, we are, um, you know, we have plans to share our analysis at future conferences um, and, and certainly looking at different publications as well. So speaking of, you know, Charlotte is in a couple of weeks. Are you, I, I understand you're presenting. What are you talking about? Yes, absolutely. We're so excited um, about uh, Charlotte and, and um, sleep. We're going to be sharing two presentations, one in which um, we utilize um, a, you know, a, a two process or TPM model for of sleep regulations. And I, uh, you're, you know, a lot of your listeners may know um, that already. Um, and this TPM model, as you as you know, has been used to um, characterize subjective alertness variations um, throughout the day. Hmm. But you know, what we've seen is that the evidence that supports the TPM derived um, alertness has been mostly from small-scale controlled studies. And so what we're showing is that um, alertness measures can scale to large study samples under these real-world conditions. So really, um, you know, taking what is, um, what science has already uh, shown us, but uh, applying that at a large scale. Ah, interesting. And then the second study will present um, we'll discuss uh, an aim to estimate um, distal skin temperature unobtrusively during sleep. And again, um, with sensors that don't touch the skin itself, um, but, uh, you know, using a temperature array uh, under the mattress. And with that, we're able to approximate um both distal skin temperature and the microclimate temperature. So we'll share um, our algorithms um, in, in doing that. So what can you tell from distal skin temperature? So we're able to, uh, you know, this the application of this first round of temperature sensors will be in our Climate 360 smart bed, which is a bed that not only has the temperature sensing, but is has full body um, cooling and heating, and as you know, you know temperature is so key and and just instrumental to our sleep and um, our the the fluctuation of temperature. Um, you know, uh, not only the, the temperature fluctuate throughout sleep, but as we age, um, you know, we go through different temperature needs and changes, you know, menopause and um, different people um, need different cooling mechanisms Mm. um, that really disrupt and temperatures can be very disruptive to our sleep. So uh, being able to measure the temperature will allow us to adjust the temperature to be able to keep someone asleep throughout the night. Oh, see, I was thinking of it in terms of more core body temperature and the drop of core body temperature and its associate, association with sleep onset. But you're approaching it more from a um, sort of improving sleep by looking at yet another metric, right? Yes, that's right. Gotcha. And, and, and you know, we, we have um, insight into, we can have kind of insight into core body temperature through these other mechanisms mm. um, or, you know, by measuring the changes in skin temperature as well as the microclimate temperature can give us, you know, a, a view into what the core body temperature might be. So is there anything else that we should know about this technology? Well, 
I mean, it is it is um, just such a fascinating um, area. <laughs> um, but you know, I think this technology, I would say, it it just it not only provides insight and the ability to improve sleep, as we mentioned, but in the future, we also talked about this. It can be used to provide that early risk indication of health, um, and you know, just broader health factors, um, and you know that that in itself. Um, really can is is a game changer. Hmm. So, any final thoughts? I well, first of all, um, really love your overall podcast. I I have listened to many of your uh, <laughs> of your shows, so a big fan. Um, and I would say, so happy to be here and share the this technology. It is it is really groundbreaking, and um, it it is not. Um, you know, it, it's it's well understood by our team, but not you know we're not as well understood by the broader community. And you know, the power of this technology is why we're seeing um, you know just uh, just groundbreaking and and um, organizations like Mayo Clinic, like uh, mm. American Cancer Society, and several others that we'll announce um, in the future why we're, uh, you know, these, these organizations want to work with us because of the power of this technology. You know, and it's something that I think um, I've learned to appreciate about our, our sleep community. You know, the AASM a few years ago came up with this technology committee and it's had, I don't know how many iterations with different names, <laughs> but it's basically right. looking at, yeah, looking at consumer and clinical sleep technology and developing, um, sort of this this resource for clinicians where you can understand what the technology is and what is the objective data supporting it, not like a, a Yelp or like a I like this bed type of thing or I like this mm -hmm. app or I like this watch, but just really being objective and saying, well, what is it measuring? How is it measuring? What are the sensors? What is the data? And so I appreciate, um, the, you know, who I'm, I'm sure it was Steve Van Hout, but whoever came up with considering this and this has been years now <laughs> so okay. um i i love that they are making it more understandable to your point that you understand it but how do you translate that so that we understand it and help our patients to make that decision of is it worth it for them you know what is it going to tell us where does the data go is there something we should worry about so i appreciate that well i i think that is fabulous because you know i mean ultimately people sleep at home in their <laughs> in their houses right and and the more insight that we can provide to the sleep the clinical uh you know uh, users or the you know the clinical caregivers of the sleepers uh in you know more in insight from the sleepers homes the better that um the treat the treatment can be well, thank you for talking with us today. It really is amazing how much sleep technology has advanced even over the last few years to help us better study and improve our sleep. It, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, 
email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.